The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call them now, leave a message. They'll return your call at 905-529-7165 and take a peek at their website, andyanddon.com. Lots of time to do that lately. andyanddon.com. There you can listen to old archive shows and as well ask a question via the listener inquiry button. Good morning, gentlemen. Good to see you all or at least uh, hear you virtually. I'm, I'm waving at you, Scott and Don. It's, yes. it's, uh, it's good to see you all. Our, our, our weekly pastime. Yes, our, our studio is definitely different. I see... Uh, I think Andy's basement and Scott's office, and I'm in my kitchen. So there you go. That's it. We're, we pretty much got the house covered. Uh, we've been talking a lot about COVID-19, COVID-19, and how it has changed the way and how it will change things moving forward. What about the markets right now? How are things reacting? Are they start to, uh, starting to settle down a bit? Yes. You, you take a look at how things have drastically changed. It seems like, I don't know about you guys, but it seems like a long time ago, February 19th, when things were normal, where the markets were rising, and they, in fact, they hit an all-time high, the, uh, um, at least the U.S. stock markets did on February the 19th, and then 16 days they were in a bear market. And that's when the, kind of the reality of what happened in COVID-19 took place. Now, there's a lot of clients out there that have probably received their uh, March 31st statements by now. Um, they, for the most part, most people got those in April. I know a lot of people will say, I don't even really open, want to open them this time. And good idea. Not necessarily a bad thing not to open them because, you know, the news was pretty much, you know, right on where, you know, the markets had declined. But I'm finding most people are actually kind of relieved, the ones that actually did look at them and say, wow, I'm surprised they're only down about, say, 12% for a balanced portfolio. And Interesting because, you know, the markets went down 34% from February 19th to March 23rd, which was the all-time low. And it's interesting. Then, then people think, okay, well, what do we do now? Um, and how, how is, what's happened since then? And to your point, Scott, things have come up quite a bit. They're about halfway back to where they were on February the 19th. Now, maybe that was a little overvalued at that time. They were, that was the peak of the market. But still... It's great to see that kind of relief or at least that uptick between March 23rd and here we are in May now. And so it's like that's not that long for them to recover, you know, 25, 27%, 30%, whatever the area is. So people are good. So, again, if you did look at your March 31st statements, you can definitely, you know, if you, look, if you happen to have your accounts online, you can go online and say, okay, it's, it's recovered a fair bit. And it all depends how much you had in equities and how much you had in fixed income. But it's interesting. A lot of people are saying, okay, well, I don't know, when will this recession end? And it's interesting. When I look through the U.S. data over the last 80 years, the markets have gone up 107 days on average before the recession has ended. And so that's three and a half months. So even though we are in a recession at this stage, because that means uh, virtually in a recession, you have to have two negative quarters, but, you know, the mar- you know everybody knows how much unemployment's gone down, and, and basically we put, the, um, quite, we put the dimmer switch on the economy. It's not fully off, but it's down a fair bit. So 
the fact that you're going to have a negative quarter and likely a second negative quarter, you can say, okay, the recession, we're in the middle of a recession right now. But it, the market is forward thinking. So the market will go up far faster than when the recession ends. So the example was in March 9th, 2009, the U.S. stock market and the Canadian stock market, was that was the bottom of that particular recession. And the Standard & Poor's 500 was at, the index was at 677. Well, interesting enough, the recession ended June 30th of 2009. So you had April, May, June. So you had basically over three months, in fact, closer to four months before the actual recession ended. Well, by that time, the market had already gone up 36%. So for anybody waiting, okay, I want to wait for the recession to end before I get back in the market, you're going to miss most of the uptick. And then, even the funnier part about this, is they don't actually know the data of when it's officially over, the recession. So they actually didn't get the announcement of when the recession is officially over until September 21st, saying, oh yeah, back in June, the recession was over. But it takes a while for that data, to, for them to collect the data. So by September 21st, it was the Standard Poor's 500 was at 1,065, which really meant it had gone up 57% from the March 9th values. So for any investor out there saying, okay, I'm going to wait for the recession and then I'm going to get in, you're going to miss most of the gains. And this has been the case throughout history. In fact, since, since 1950, the market on average, has gone up 3% during the recessions. And you think, okay, how, how can that be? How can the market actually be rising? And it's because even though the recession is still on, the market has been already recovering. And so the average recession, by the way, has been 11 months. And there's been some really short ones, like three months, and then there's been longer ones than in a couple of years. Nobody really knows exactly how long they're going to last, but at the end of the day, they do end. So it's, uh, I always like the different quotes, and uh, Warren Buffett had his annual meeting in the past uh, week or so, and one of his last quotes, he said, those who invest only when commentaries are upbeat end up paying a heavy price for meaningless reassurance. <laughs> and basically what you're looking at is you're paying, if things are, okay, everything's good now, you're, the price is higher because already the market has recovered substantially by that time. So in, in the case of uh, this year, as we mentioned, the market went down 34% in 33 days. And I'll, I'll tell you, like I know it was kind of masked a little bit because everybody was worried about COVID-19. And certainly there was a health issue, and everybody's tracking, okay, how many people have it, where is COVID-19, which countries got it now. So the, definitely there was some eyes watching this fall, but on the same token, there's a different game going on in the markets, and they were watching it too, and the markets were flying on the way down, unfortunately. And a lot of this is pure negative emotion, and that's what was driving the markets. So what we found is, and human nature is very predictable, is the fund flows started to turn negative. People were taking money out of the markets and ETFs and mutual funds, and you had negative um, money, more, more money leaving the funds and going in the funds, which is the exact opposite of what you should be doing when the markets go down in price. And it's, in fact, in the U.S., money market funds 
hit a brand new record. They hit $4 trillion. And a money market fund is simply a guaranteed place to put your money. It's in treasury bills, if you will. And so the people have been pulling the money out of the markets and putting them in something that's earning virtually no return. And this is something Andy and I have talked about for years. This is where you need to have a financial plan. And you look at that and you say, okay, this is a long-term plan. So we're going to look at the longer term. Yes, we do know that the markets do go up and down. But, you know, you can make some adjustments to the plan because of this. And I know what we've talked about the last few weeks is when the markets are down, if you, if you do have some money, it's a great time to invest. Let me ask you this question, though, Don and Andy. Um, how concerned are you, because again, you, you talked about the length of this and how it will probably be relatively short compared to other recessions. How concerned are you when it does take off uh, of inflation, that this getting out of hand too quickly and everything that's been pent up for the last 10 years comes back to haunt us? I think that uh, you know the discussion around inflation is something that's important. It's a good question, and um, one of the theories around inflation in the next phase of the, the economy has to do with what we call tailwinds, and the tailwinds are all of the help and support that we've received from the federal government, the provincial governments, uh, and even our municipalities in terms of supporting businesses and support, in terms of supporting um, uh, individuals, and uh, and all of the reliefs from a tax perspective, et cetera. So these things, um, and, and of course, lower gas prices, everything else. So these are all kind of putting more money in our pocket right now. And so it'll be interesting to see how that tailwind, are we going to bounce back and feel we need to go out and spend because we've been pent up? Or are we going to continue to be cautious? And it's a, it's a great question. If we're going to spend and we go down that path, then uh, inflation might be a result. And then banks can will have to think about stepping in with higher interest rates to control the inflation environment. Yeah, and, and there's so many things that are unknown at this stage. They did the exact thing. The government did the exact thing. What we needed, and it's interesting. You know, if you're if you're a doctor and you're and you have a patient and you think, okay, I need to put this drug into this person to save this person's life, you may not look at what effects that might have on the person during that time when the person does recover and, the, you know, the side effects of that drug, but you're just trying to keep this person alive. And that's basically, basically what the government did in this case, is they just want to keep the businesses alive so they don't all go under. Yeah, there may be ramifications we pay down the road on this, but they're uncertain. We actually don't know how quickly people will jump back into the shops, and already we're finding in the States, even though some of the stores are open, Nobody's going into the malls yet. One other factor is that all of this support may mean higher taxes for us. And as a result, that's also a, a deflationary situation, too, if we're having to pay more of our income in taxes. I think the thing that um, what I've been hearing from both clients and listeners who have contacted us is the concern about I have investments. If I'm having to take them out or I've had a lot of equities in my portfolio, um, should I be taking the money out? Should I be changing it at this point? And, um, and that's a, it's a loaded question because there are a lot of issues that come into play when you start thinking about is it the right time to take the money out? And so the process of, that we go through to understand, you know, what is your portfolio? How much is in equities? How much is in fixed income? 
And then what are your cash requirements and what is the time frame for your cash requirements? So in one scenario, a client was asking about taking money out of their RIF and they were able to defer it to an annual payment and start taking it at the end of the year. And they didn't actually need the money. So they could, they could withdraw, say, their $6,000 is their RIF payment and uh, at the end of this year and then use that money and simply transfer it directly over to their TFSA in the same investment. And that way, they're not actually crystallizing any of the downside risk uh, because they'll be moving from the same investment to the same investment inside their TFSA plan. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call, leave a message. They'll get back to you. We are all at home waiting, 905-529-7165. And check out their website at andyanddon.com. Quick break here. We're coming right back. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. We're all doing this from our home. But you can still reach Don and Andy, 905-529-7165. That's 905-529-7165. And check out the website at andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon.com. All right, uh, no matter if it's COVID-19 or not, you still got to manage the market, or do you? Just hands off and leave it. Well, you know, it all comes down to back to your plan. So, you know, you're looking at what you should do in this particular case. Now, it's kind of interesting. We're getting a few different calls at this stage. Uh, one is, okay, the markets are down a bit, and because I'm not spending as much money right now, because virtually I cannot, okay, I, I'm not going out, my holidays got reimbursed, I have an extra check, maybe I should take that extra money or my tax refund and put it into a TFSA now and buy lower while the prices are down. So I'm getting a lot of those calls. Um, the other call I'm getting is, is clients, and mainly seniors, that are getting an income from their investments, saying, you know what, um, this income was based on a lifestyle that I'm not leading, why don't we reduce that income and kind of doing what Andy just mentioned about maybe reducing the RIF or even postponing the RIF, and even you can have that 25% less as an option. That should not be an automatic, that 25%. You really should see if it makes sense in your particular case, depending on your tax bracket and everything, but it might make sense. And the other one is probably a good idea if you were to touch your, in a, you know, your equity investments is, and you're going to have a major purchase on the way, say a new car or a big trip, not that you can buy a trip right now, but certainly I wouldn't make a major purchase because you're now selling when the market is down and you're selling a lot more shares to get the same amount of money. But it was, uh, I had a couple, two people in the past week actually that were more or less you know, boasting to a certain extent how they timed the market perfectly. For, and, and these aren't you know, one person, I, you know, just two acquaintances, and... He said, well, what do you mean? He says, well, I literally sold. One person sold on February the 18th, one day before the peak of the market. Could this, I don't know why he said. He said, I had a feeling. And he was going on about, this is, you know, good for you. And I asked him, so, so did you buy back in yet? No, no, I haven't bought back in yet. Well, that's, that's uh, unfortunate because obviously the market went down to March 23rd. And had he have bought then, he would have made a, not only did he miss the whole downtime, he would have got a 25% return since that point. But he's, in both cases, they're both almost 
sure that the market's going to fall again. And I think it might be wishful thinking, but who knows, because they've got this money sitting in cash. But it was interesting, Most, both of these cases did not realize the capital gain effect, because these are non-registered investments. They have to pay tax on the growth they had before they sold it. So in an example, let's say you bought an investment for 250000 it grew to 500000 and then on February 18th of this year, you sold it for 500000 Great timing. But you have a capital gain now of 250000 and in a higher bracket, and both these people are in higher tax brackets, 50% tax brackets, you'd have a $62,000 tax bill to pay, and that, that's going to be April 2021. So now you no longer have that money. That money is gone out of your portfolio. That has to sit on the sidelines. Maybe you can put it in a bank account or a 2% account, but you owe this to the, owe this to the government. Meanwhile, the market went down, as we talked about, 34%, and then it's come back a fair bit. Well, let's say, had he just left the money alone, never touched it at all, he missed that perfect timing like he, they both did, and let's say his 500000 would have dropped 34%, and it would have been worth $330,000. Well, since then, it's gone back up, and currently, it would be worth $406,000. Well, that's still $94,000 from when he's, you know, the peak of $500,000. Let's come back a long ways. However, you've got to remember, he doesn't have $500,000 anymore. The government's got a bunch. The government's got 62500 So all he has to do, if that market goes up just another 7.6%, and that's not a lot, it would wipe out the whole exercise he's had and would make up. So right now he, he, he could make a $31,000 profit if he, made, if he sold today. However, if, he, if they keep waiting and the market goes up another 7%, 7-8%, they would have sold, paid this capital gain, and now they have less shares that are paying dividends, and they're still waiting to get in. They're going to be so upset if they don't get in eventually, and they'll talk about how they timed it perfectly, but then they never bought back in. So it's very difficult to time the market. We've always said this. And so the, the real way to do it, as you mentioned right at the beginning, Scott, is stick to the plan. You have a diversified portfolio for a reason. If you have a mix between both stocks, bonds, real estate, everything else, your, mar- your money did not go down what I just suggested. It might have gone down maybe 15% in the high side, somewhere between 10 and 15. And it's already covered um, a large part of that, about half of that. But stick to the plan. Talk to your financial planner, and if there is any opportunities that you should be taking advantage, I would definitely be in touch with your financial planner to discuss what should I be doing. Should I be adding a bit more now if you have the money, or should I be lowering the amount of money I take out? Either way, they're both great answers. You know, one of the things that, um, that I was mentioning we were hearing about is should I, should I continue to hold the same investments I've got? What happens if I have to take money out? And I guess when it comes to having the right investment portfolio, I think the goal is to try to remove the guesswork out of the whole process of where to invest. And in a conversation with some uh, listeners this week as well, you know, we talked about the fact, uh, questioning their investment holdings. And I said, you know what, if none of this happened, if COVID didn't happen, would you still be holding the same investments? And of course, the answer was yes. They wouldn't have changed anything. But now the emotional side of this has kicked in and they're just trying to decide, is this something, should I keep it the right, the same portfolio? 
And sometimes that's harder depending on the type of portfolio you have. For example, if you have an 80% equity portfolio or 90% equity portfolio, you felt the volatility a lot more than somebody who only has, say, 10 or 20% of their portfolio in equities. So you begin to question, you know, is it different this time? What's it going to mean? Should I stay the course? And, um, and one of the things that we know when it comes to trying to take the guesswork out of where to invest is that you can look at how different types of investments correlate with each other. And what I mean by that is that if one type of investment is going down in a certain market climate, is there another investment that would either be holding its own or going up? And we call this a correlation matrix. And essentially what we do is we take all of your investments that you hold, compare them to each other, and you end up with a colorful chart. Blue means that they're very similar. They're moving in the same direction at the same time. Red means that they're opposite. They're moving in opposite direction at the same time. So when we start look, analyzing someone's portfolio, you don't want to see a sea of blue. You want to see a lot of red patches in here so that we know there's some proper diversification in the portfolio. And the next area then is what types of investments should I actually hold? Should it be you know, Canadian equities? Should it be U.S. equities? Should it be real estate? Should it be commodities? And we call this, what we call this, it's, it's called a, a quilt chart. Now, you guys can see it because I'm showing it to you, but if you imagine it. Nice. Okay. That's very nice. And there's very a lot of quilts being made right now, by the way, Andy. Yeah. And it matches your, it matches your shirt. And basically each color represents a different type of asset class. And um, so when you put them together, you're trying to see, is there a pattern? And there really isn't a pattern. And when I looked at, for example, how have Canadian stocks done over the last 10 years ending 2019? And out of a group of 10 different investment options or classes, um, Canadian equities were in the top half of the group from a performance for half the time and in the bottom half of the group for half the time. So trying to guess which year is going to be Canadian equities uh, premium year and which is going to be a loser year is almost impossible to do. And this is kind of what Don was talking about, about trying to time the market in and out of here. So when we actually build using our quilt chart, and if you built a portfolio called a diversified portfolio of 60-40, 60% stocks, 40% equities, what you end up doing is capturing pieces that are doing very well and also pieces that aren't doing as well, but the blending together of that creates a much better predictable rate of return for your planning plus less volatility as well. And it's interesting, so those people that do try to hop from one area to another, trying to guess, and this is what we've talked about with um, Adele, Delbar reports, they come out of the States, and they measure what does the fund perform at, and what does the client perform at. And interestingly enough, you'd think they should be similar, but the, the fund has performed at, generally over the last 20 years, uh, a U.S. equity fund has averaged about 9%. However the actual clients in the fund have averaged about five. And that's be, the reason is, is because clients are pulling their money out and saying, okay, well, they've read whatever the negative news is. And by the way, most news has a negative bias. So generally speaking, you're looking at something that's somewhat biased towards the ne- negative side. And then you're 
And if that make as a result you make a decision to sell or buy or sell that investment to buy the next one, it's kind of like driving down the highway picking which lane. And you're and you're looking at and you say, okay, this lane's slow. I'm going to go in the next lane. Well, just in time for that lane, they see the brake lights go, and you wish you stayed in the lane you're in. <laughs> That's why you diversify. And yeah. so it's a big cost to try to switch lanes, and in this case, switch allocation of your investments, because it ends up costing people a lot of return because they're trying to time or guess the market. Well, a good portfolio analysis right now is a great idea so that you understand what you've got. And, you know, there's an old saying, you don't put all your eggs in one basket. And, uh, you know, I thought about that. And, of course, where did that saying come from? And what does it mean to us today in terms of our investments? And uh, it was interesting. When you Google eggs in, all your eggs in one basket, there are 82 million results under Google about <laughs> the phrase, all your eggs in one basket. But it is an idiom probably of Spanish uh, origin from the 17th century. And it is actually uh, in, quoted in Don Quixote's play of 1615. So it, uh, it's been around a long time. But there is also a theory that it was actually, it was actually an algebraic uh, phrase, which was as X is X, the letter X, X, and X got changed to eggs. Uh, you know, and so anyway, this is uh, some of the history behind it. And Warren Buffett, you know, and John, you were talking about Warren Buffett earlier, talked about, you know, all asked about putting all your eggs in one basket because a lot of theory around how wealthy people have accumulated mass wealth is because they did concentrate into one particular investment to grow their wealth. And um, so Warren says that, yeah, put all your eggs in one basket, but just watch the basket very carefully. And uh, <laughs> so, and, and the theory around a portfolio is that you do want to be diversified, um, but the asset classes are different. It's kind of like an analogy where if you were building a house, you want to start in your portfolio with a solid foundation. And the solid foundation is going to be a short-term reserve or emergency fund, and that's never felt more important than it is today, right now. And also uh, insurance in case of, a, a, of an accident or in, in, incapacity. And then you add pillars of growth to your foundation, and, uh, and those will sustain you going forward. And finally, at some point, you, want to, you also want to add a slab of passive income, whether it's an annuity or a pension, something that's built into your uh, overall portfolio. So, you know, today, um, you know, there's this fear, I don't want to put all my eggs in one basket, and that gets extended to, I don't want to consolidate or put all my investments in one place. And that's more, never been more important to not put all your investments in one place, one type of investment, but holding all your investments under one roof, I think, makes more sense than ever, particularly if you're 75 years of age or older, as, um, as you begin to think about estate planning, one of the things and one of the risks of having money at all different institutions is the uh, requirement for probate, the requirement for um, a lot of administrative or executor work, and just a lot of added cost and time associated with dealing with a portfolio. So I want to talk a little bit about, um, about why having all your eggs in one basket is actually a good thing when it comes to consolidating and understanding where are your investments, which institution can you hold them at. And there's always been this fear that, well, if I put all my investments with one company, 
that either they'll go out of business or, you know, and the other factor, too, is that it's true that there will probably always be a cheaper product on sale somewhere at some other financial institution, whether it's a special rate on a GIC or a special rate on a savings account. And so what ends up happening is that people get sprinkling of little bits and pieces all over the place as they jump onto these special sales promotions that come along. But what you're doing is just adding layer upon layer to the complexity, not only of your tax preparation, uh, but also your asset allocation model, trying to understand how all the pieces fit together. Plus, on top of that, your estate plan becomes a bit of a hodgepodge. And I, I, we tidied up one client's estate uh, a couple of years ago where they were dealing with 13 different institutions over the course of the last couple of decades. And the amount of statements and paperwork and, I mean, we just had a goal each year. Could we get rid of two or three? And it took several years to actually get to the point where they were down to the, you know, top two institutions and working towards the final, just having it in one place. And uh, they were so much more relaxed and so much more and very thankful of actually getting through that process because it's definitely simplified their life and made their plan more um more meaningful in terms of how we can execute and, and best maximize the results. I didn't know you, there were that many options, really, to be honest. Uh, there you go. You think you have three or four, you're out of control. Uh, we are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call them now. Leave a message. They will return your call. And that is at 905-529-7165. Going to take a quick break here. We're coming right back. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. Check out their website, andyanddon.com, or you can call them now. Leave a message. They'll get back to you at 905-529-7165. Uh, we're talking about understanding your investment, especially during a time of COVID-19. Yes, yeah, Andy was talking about, you know, having all your eggs in one basket. And, and there's a lot of truth to that. If you had it, i say, okay, and there's a lot of people that have shares at a company, for example, and they work for a company and you're part of a share plan and you accumulate. And next thing you know is you have perhaps a third of your wealth in one stock. And that's where it's dangerous. Uh, Nortel was an example n- a number of years ago where people you know, worked for Nortel, bought their stock, and then both went down. They lost their job and they lost their stock and they never sold. And again, it's, it, the, there's greed that comes into it. So what you need to do is understand how each investment works and align them with your goals. And I remember ages ago when I was being trained, it's actually 35 years ago coming, coming up, we looked at three pockets of investments, okay? And we, li- we likened it to travel. So if you're going to go to the corner store, you'd say, okay, how would I get there? And most people would say, I walk or I might take a bike, well, then if, okay, I'm going to commute to my job in Toronto, how would you get there? I take the GO train or I take a car. And let's say I'm going to go travel, I'm going to go to my vacation spot, which might be the new vacation spot, might be Vancouver, okay? <laughs> Maybe we won't be going to the other uh, more exotic places for the time being. And, and you say, oh, I'll definitely take a plane. Well, it's interesting, you know, if you were to say, okay, I, I got this goal, it's a short-term goal, that would be like the corner store. 
And how would you invest the money? Well, of course, you just put it into very safe investments, money market funds, uh, T-bills, just a bank account. It really doesn't matter how much money you have or the return it's making. You really just need it in the short term, and it has to be there. You're more worried about re- the capital depreciating versus the rate of return. Now, if it's a little longer term, a medium-term goal, then you could say, okay, I'm going to lock it up in GICs or dividend-paying funds. And then if it's long-term, such as your retirement, you'd say, okay, well, I definitely should have some inequities. And, and so you look at a plane, it, does, it goes up and down on the way to Vancouver. It is not a straight line. Quite often they have to avoid different pressures, and they say they have to go around something or there's a storm coming up. It is not a straight line, and that is the stock market. It does that. And, but what, I, what we do find is people do both ends of it. Oh, I'm going to go to the corner store, so I'm going to take a plane. And that's like, okay, I'm going to buy stocks, and i got a short-term investment horizon. And it's sure to fail. These type of things do occur where there's a downturn in the market. And if you've got a short-term goal, all of a sudden the market goes down 20%, such as your kid's education in September. Well, you know, you can't say, sorry, uh, sweetie, we can't go to school this year because I put your money in the market. On the other end of it, we say, okay, you've got retirement goals, and it's a long time. It's until the, basically until you die. So it's, your, it's not only till retirement, it's after retirement, and you need to have things that beat inflation. So the whole key is, and then a lot of people say, I want to have things very guaranteed. And if you have it in, that would be like walking all the way to Vancouver. It's not going to be a good, it, you may get there, but it's going to take an awfully long time. So you have to match the investments to the goal, just like you would with transportation. So with that, keep in mind that markets do go up and down, but when the prices do drop, the value goes up. And it's, and we, it's so interesting when we say, okay, well, there's a sale on, on say, uh, the new Apple iPad, and it's 25% off, you say, wow, what a great deal. I've got to buy that, and it was 25% off. Great value. And that's what stocks are when they're down in price. Same idea. So the lower the price is, the better the value. On the other hand, um, staying invested is the surefire way that you're going to get the full uptick when the market's fully advanced. Unlike that person I mentioned before that sold at the right time, but he didn't get back in. So they're missing out on the advance of the market, and another 7% to go, they're going to miss out on the whole advance um, after, after they pay their capital gains. So the whole point is never try to make long-term investment strategies out of short, if you, if you are worried about short to medium term disruptions. Okay, so if you've got a long term investment strategy, you're going to have these ups and downs. That's just part of the territory. But again, you always have to keep that long term lens because right now, bonds and T bills are definitely not an alternative. We're finding right now interest rates have dropped so far that you're getting less than 1% if you're invested in a short term investment. And Right now, dividends in companies are three to four times greater than what you're going to get in a, in a T-bill type fund or a very safe haven. So there's a person whose name we, we've actually seen a few times, Andy, over the years, Jeremy Siegel. Mm-hmm. And he's kept track for the last 200 years, and he's, he teaches at the Wharton School of Business. And he said over the last 200 years, without a doubt, the best inflation hedge has been stocks, U.S. stocks have averaged 7% above inflation. Canadian stocks have been about 6% above inflation. Nothing else has been this close to it. 
And houses haven't been that good. People have often mentioned gold. Uh, if you looked at gold prices 100 years ago, they were $262 an ounce. Now they're about $1,700 an ounce. That's about a 2% per year um, increase in value per year. And there's tons of volatility, and there's times where they do better or worse than that. But at the end of the day, stocks have been the best area to beat inflation, and the, the key is you have, to, you have to keep in it the whole time to get that great return above and beyond inflation. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. Call now, leave a message. They'll get back to you at 905-529-7165 and check out the website at andyanddon.com. Quick break here. We're coming right back. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. Call now. Leave a message. They'll return your call at 905-529-7165 and check out the website at andyanddon.com. You're talking about a case study of a client, Andy. Yeah, you know, just thought I'd share a story as um, listeners may either relate to it or know of someone that it relates to. But basically, like many uh, seniors who are thinking about transitioning to a retirement residence, uh, we came across a a client, uh, a new client a couple of years ago, uh, Joyce. And at the time, I'll just give you a little bit of background and then I'll tell you what we ended up doing for her solutions. And um, so Joyce at the time was 89 years old and she had uh, was planning to sell it, planned to sell her home and move into a retirement residence. And she also had four sons. And uh, one of her sons had passed away prematurely. But um, in fact, so Helen was still independent and capable of making her own financial decisions. But at the same time, she would seek help from two of her sons. Uh, we'll call them Gary and Roy. And um, so up until this up until our meeting, Helen had been using GICs, and Don, you were talking about those earlier for her savings and investments. But now, with the sale of the home, her son uh, Gary and Roy were looking at: is there a better solution to invest the proceeds to help out and provide for um, Joyce's care going forward? So the problem, I guess, no one really knows how long they're going to live, and uh, but there was longevity in her family. And so as far as her retirement plan, we were going to assume that she would live another 10 years at least. And um, as she's thinking about moving into this one particular retirement home, it was cost was going to be about $3,200 a month to cover her rent and her expenses. And like many of these uh, retirement residences, the annual, the, the, the amount of rent increases every year and typically more than just inflation. So we assumed at least 3% inflation uh, for her rental increases over time. So in terms of assets today, she has about uh, $350,000. About 230000 of that was in a checking account and uh, from the sale of the house. A small RIF, $7,700, and then some GICs in a non-registered account, about $115,000. And her income was Canada Pension Plan, Old Age Security, um, took about 1000 a year from the RIF, 
and she had interest income of about $200 a month, so about $1,400 a month. So she had a shortfall. Uh, she had a will, which she did in 1991, and named her two sons, uh, Gary and Don, the, the executors. We reviewed the will, and we determined that all four sons would share in her estate equally, uh, but the one son who prematurely died, <clears throat> her, his share would revert to his two children, uh, her two grandchildren. She also had a power of attorney for property and personal care, which was done way back in 1995. And again, both Gary and Don are acting as her power of attorney. So that gives you a little bit of history of where she is. And we sort of came up with two plans, Plan A and Plan B. And plan A, which was sort of a conservative approach where we just stuck with the idea of GICs, although this wasn't their preference, it was worth just looking at. And... Um, so the thought process was stagger a laddered GIC approach, a one-year, two-year, three-year, four-year, and five-year, and the rates of return were averaging about 1.65 up to 2.7% for the GICs, take the interest from that to help pay for and, and redeem capital as needed for her plan. I mean, this provided the highest sort of levels of guarantee for her, but at the same time, there's a lot of concern about inflation and really giving a picture of what would her estate look like going forward using this strategy. And one thing we talked about was maximizing your TFSAs as well. And we actually recommended putting two plans together. One plan where she would contribute 75% of her contributions, and that would go to her three sons that are alive, and one plan that was just for the two grandchildren that she would contribute 25%. So we looked at that. At, at age 100, her net estate would be worth about $96,000. So it would go down, but there would still be something left. The alternate plan was we looked at um, uh, a mutual fund investment where we use a T-series payout, which allowed her to receive about $1,400 a month uh, tax-free. This was sort of in a moderate-risk uh, approach, and we talked about how much the returns can fluctuate. So she could, on average, about 9.7% was the uh, uh, high rate of return, minus 2.6 would be the, average, uh, the low rate of return with an average of about 6% per year. So the goal would be, again, to, um, uh, as each of the GICs mature, maximize your TFSAs. And by using the return of capital, we reduced her interest income, and she'd actually get uh, 372 more per month from guaranteed income supplement. And so at the end of the day, we had a uh, 2900 of income coming in, so still a shortfall of about 300 a month. And that was okay because we could make that up. We left her about 35000 in her bank account, so she could take 300 a month from that or whatever else she might need for gifts, et cetera. And so when we ran uh, Approach 2, her net estate at the end, uh, at age 100, would be 221000 and uh, a difference of about $125,000 by going with Plan B. So it, it's, it's a great process. It's an important stage of life for everybody as they enter into this transition from a home to a retirement home. And uh, Don and I are here to help you with that transition. We have been planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox have been here from IG Private Wealth Management. Check out their website at andyanddon.com. There you can ask a question via the listener inquiry button, as well listen to old archive shows. Or you can call 905-529-7165. Leave a message. They will get back to you. All right, gentlemen, thanks so much. Have a great night. 
Thanks. Thanks, Stay healthy, everybody. The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML.